to the Katie and Me podcast. I'm Katie and I'm here with Chris Hutchinson. And today, Chris, we are all going to get smarter together. You're going to talk to us about coaching. We're going to talk a little bit about money in politics. And then we are going to hear from accountants about what they wish we all knew about what they do. Just in time for tax season, correct? Yay! Yeah, see, we're smart. We pick uh, relevant topics to try and help you guys out. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well. I will be honest, I'm battling a little bit of a cold, so my uh, usual smooth baritone may be a little bit more (laughs) raspy today, so I apologize for that, but uh, good to be with you. Excited to get talking about coaching. Before I jump into that, just wanted to let everyone know that this episode today is sponsored by The Pint Cycle. The Pint Cycle can be found at thepintcycle.com. The Pint Cycle is an independent, family-owned business serving the vibrant and growing city of Fishers, Indiana. The pedal-powered 16-person bicycle tours the city center with optional stops at several breweries, bars, and restaurants, including Fort A. Ray Brewery, Brick's Pizza Pub, Luvino, and another Broken Egg Cafe. Tours are available five times a day, seven days a week, March through December. The Pint Cycle specializes in corporate events, bachelor and bachelorette parties, birthday parties, and unique and fun tour experiences with friends and family. So visit thepintcycle.com to book your December holiday lights tour or to reserve your upcoming spring event. And we are very grateful for all the folks at the Pint Cycle. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit today about coaching. I have been a hockey coach in the state of Indiana uh, off and on for about the last 10 to 12 years. I come from a hockey playing background. I, I grew up playing hockey as a kindergartner and then ended up playing um, a little bit in college as, as a walk-on. And I've coached at a number of different levels. So I've coached uh, at the travel level, the high school level, and also the college club level. And a lot of people, in fact, a couple of my players last night, they asked me specifically why I got into coaching. One of it is that, you know, I learned a lot through my coaches, uh, a lot of people that took time out of their, you know, normal lives to be at practice and to travel with 18 to 22 guys. It's a very daunting task, particularly coaching high school level boys, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> I'm learning this year and last year. Coaching is it's just, it's really challenging. And I wanted to give back. I wanted to try and, and recognize folks that helped me when I was growing up. Hockey is a unique sport. There's a lot of physicality. That's very fast. There's a lot of opportunities for injury. And so there's just a lot of unique factors that kind of go into being a hockey coach. One of the key things that I have kind of worked around or worked with as a coach is what I call this we versus me mentality. And hockey is so dependent on all players that are on the ice. You know, in baseball, there's a hitter and, you know, there's a pitcher. And it's a little bit more individual actions that are occurring in the sport of baseball. In basketball, you can essentially have one superstar that may be really the driving force behind that team. Yeah, the other players on the court are helpful, but you don't necessarily need all five all the time. In hockey, you really do. In order to you know, get from one end of the ice to the other, you're not going to be able to skate the whole way yourself. You're going to need to make passes. Everybody kind of needs to know where they are together on the ice. And so you can take a mediocre or lesser skilled team But if you have them working in a we mentality as opposed to acting as individuals, 
you can have pretty high levels of success. And so that's like the first thing that I really, really try and focus on with anyone that I'm coaching is we before me. And it's kind of cliche, but an adage that we often use is that, you know, the name of the team that is on the front of the jersey is a lot more important than your last name on the back of your jersey. The team I'm coaching this year, we've had some success with that. And now what's happening is that we've had some success and now some of the individual egos are creeping in a little bit. <laughs> it's, a, it's a topic that me and uh, the other coaches continually revisit and remind them, listen, we before me got us to where we are now. Now is not the time to start slipping and, mm -hmm. you know, going back into acting as an individual. So you'll, you'll see that at all levels for sure, but it is particularly interesting at the high school level. And that kind of brings me to the, just the overall point that coaching hockey players is hard because of all the things that I've already talked about. First of all, it's such a unique skill set to be able to skate, take body contact, hit players, pass, shoot. There's a lot going on. And then when you add in the elements of dealing with teenage young men, and in our case, a teenage young woman um, that are you know going through puberty and have high school dances and boyfriend and girlfriend drama and all those things. And oh, then you drama. throw them in the mix of, you know, being on the ice with five or six other individuals that are trying to body check them or, you know, do the same thing. You really have to balance these 18 to 22 individuals. Yes, you work with them as a team, but there's also a lot of individual mentoring that half the time, maybe even more than half the time, you're talking to him about things that aren't even necessarily hockey. You can see it. Like I have one guy, I know when something is heavy on his mind because it reflects in practice. Good coaches have to know that line of, does this person need me to get on their back a little bit? Are they just lacking motivation or is there something else going on? So the psychological side of it is something that obviously I enjoy. And I've kind of talked about some of my background in that in previous episodes, but finding that happy medium is it's a challenge. And it's, again, it's something that, that I enjoy doing and want to be able to give back, but it was funny and I'll, I'll kind of wrap with this, but we had our team holiday party last night mm -hmm. and the team that I'm coaching now has had some struggles in previous years. My buddy and I, before we took over this team, it had kind of a, a rough reputation. And this kid looked at me, he just said, Hutch, why did you want to coach this team? And I just looked at him and I said, listen, we wanted to build something from the ground up and change the culture of this team. And I think he was super surprised by that. With that, I will kind of put a bow on it. That's kind of been my experience with, with coaching hockey. Oh, I'm not done with this. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we've worked together in multiple yeah. situations and we communicate, we email and text a lot. The amount of time that you spend involved in the hockey yeah. coaching is pretty intense. I it's mean, lot, I am yeah. I am more likely than not to get a text back that says, yeah. headed to a game, at a game, at practice, dealing with an issue, you know, like it's just all yeah. the time. And the same thing, my mom gave writing lessons and coached in 4-H. Mm -hmm. And so it was that it becomes your life. It really does. And when you think about it, I guess that makes a lot of sense because it's not just the time that you're with the kids. There is the sociology and the yeah. psychology involved. And, you know, we kind of have a rule as coaches that we have availability for our players 24 mm -hmm. hours a day, whether it's wow. anything hockey related or personal. We don't have that same rule with the players' parents. Uh, we have some a little bit more restrictions with parents. That's a whole nother podcast in another episode. I won't get into that. So yeah, we do get hit with a lot of things, personal stuff, and this is going on in my life. And it does become all consuming. 
and there's challenges too because I, you know, I still have a, a wife and a daughter, and trying to work my schedule around that because those are obviously important things to me as well. So they really do become part of your family. We talk a lot about brotherhood with this current team and trying to create that feeling of togetherness and closeness, uh, even mm-hmm. though, you know, not everybody's going to get along, just like not everybody gets along in a family. So right, right. Well, that's that, interesting. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking some questions. So we'll, we'll put a bow on coaching and then we'll move Katie to your topic. What are you going to teach us and help us learn about today? Well, here's the thing. I am just convinced that everyone should have a very cursory concept of how money functions in the election cycle. And so for the next 40 hours, we're going to be talking about <laughs> how <laughs> money like, functions yeah. in politics. Um, no, it'd be and, interesting and, to do this in five or six minutes. <laughs> right, right. So, so I'm just going to touch on a few key ideas that maybe we could all kind of keep in mind and make part of the lens that we use to view the election cycle. And that might make us a little more savvy in how we function politically, right? So talking specifically today about political funding and Mm -hmm. campaign finance. A hot topic. Yes, absolutely. It is. And we hear from candidates regularly these days that they're not going to accept PAC money, right? Right. PAC money. And those are political action committees. It's fascinating to see that anyone is able to fund a campaign without that. It Mm -hmm. really is a model that is not the norm. Because large donations and PAC money combined to make up more than 70% of our political funding, Mm -hmm. okay? So those of us who give less than $200 are such a drop in the bucket. Right. That doesn't mean don't do it. Maybe it means do it more, but we have to understand that our courts have decided that money is speech. And as a result of that ruling and that idea in politics, the money follows the power and controls the power. That is what you have to look at. And since money follows the power, there's kind of this self-feeding cycle, Okay. right? So if you can pull off getting elected, we're going to start after your first election. If you're a congressman or a senator, you're going to spend an enormous amount of time raising money raising, because yeah. you can't stop. It's not just that first election, right? You cannot stop because you need to build your power by having the money. You need the money to stay in office to continue to do things just to keep your job on a personal level. And so Georgetown reports that new Congress people spend about four hours a day on average fundraising. All right. That's, you know, that's a lot. That is a <laughs> lot of time asking people for money. Mm-hmm. I can't stand school fundraisers. Like, I can't send my kids around like little Amway people right. selling, you know, cookies and, cookies and stuff. Yeah, I always feel terrible. And and in fact, I go to the I go to the school PTO and I'm like, can I just write you a check for the year and you not give these out? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> which is an option at a lot of schools, you guys. But, but funding, I mean, that's just an example. It drives everything, right? We need it in our school system. We need it everywhere. And so... I'm not going to tell you today what you can do to change the system if you feel it needs to be changed. Some people don't. But we need to understand that the biggest donors have a huge impact on the message. It's that power dynamic. It's money is power. And campaigns require a ton of that money, so they cater to them. Mm-hmm. And as a result of catering to them, they have a say. It gives them access, right? It yeah, absolutely they're essentially gives purchasing them access. access. And so they'll say anything to get you on board. They really will. If you have noticed, most of the commercials that you see Mm -hmm. 
are funded by PACs. Yeah. And so it's like people for a better us and like all this ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the names mean nothing on a PAC. Mm -hmm. Absolutely nothing. It's just like the name on a bill. You can call a bill the Regenerate America for a Greener World Act. And all it is is like how it cover opens for <laughs> yeah, coal it's, or something. It's, yeah, it's a cover yeah. for something that's the antithesis of what the name right. implies. So you need to be aware of that. But watch where you're getting your information. You have to say, I will not be swayed or believe anything I see on this commercial because the source of this information has a vested interest sure. in getting me to believe this. And you should always question that. What I want people to walk away with is, yes, absolutely give your small donations, but be aware that the information you're receiving, the things that are getting done are largely shaped by big money players. And as such, you also have a voice in politics based on who you support, who's dishing out the money that you support, right? Right. There's an app called Goods Unite Us, and you can look up businesses on there and see parties they're funding, at what level they're funding. They get rated based on campaign finance. I mean, it's really remarkable. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And I'm not here to push that on everybody, but I'd <laughs> say um, – there's a lot of transparency if you're willing to look and if you don't have time to look or you're just a little too apathetic to look or for whatever reason, I would really encourage you to just notice who's funding and anytime you see it's a pack, anytime you can trace it to that, anytime, I mean, because they have to identify themselves, right? Just be very skeptical. You can dismiss that information and make a more informed decision at election time. A um, couple questions, Katie. Mm -hmm. Do you think that packs and super packs? do you think that they will ever completely go away? Or do you <laughs> think that there will always be um, money involved in, you know, politics and, and political messaging? Okay, so for the next 40 hours. <laughs> okay, as long as Citizens United stands, or some variant thereof, mm -hmm. yeah, the money's going to control the system. We should absolutely support candidates whose platforms we support who are trying to go a different route. Mm -hmm. And we can also support and suggest in our local governments uh, systems of public funding only. You know, elections cost millions or billions of dollars, right. depending on, yeah, yeah. on the scale. And so the idea of public funding only, I'm kind of passionate about. It says, okay, we're going to usually cap what you can spend. We're going to give each state representative, say $100,000, and that's it. You have to get your message out without taking in outside money, which is very appealing to, to me. Mm -hmm. The other thing is you can say, we're going to give everyone, say, a voucher that represents $25 to pull a number out of nowhere. And you can give it to whichever candidate you support. So it's another level of voting, really, mm -hmm. right? You can't be apolitical. I was just talking about this with someone. You can't be apolitical. You're either actively political or passively political because every time you spend money, you you're are endorsing, something. yes, you're endorsing a system that you will then be responsible for, <laughs> I hope, having right. supported. So a little bit of actively political, encouraging people to be involved. And we know in the US, we have very low individual involvement rates in elections, Correct. right? But if you give everyone part of that public funding and say, okay, you decide where this goes. Mm -hmm. You know, that's another option that's been looked at and it's been tested in a few places in the Northwest I know of. So yeah, I, is the money gonna come out? No. But could we different ways do it differently? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a huge argument that says we could do it differently. One other question, and then we'll probably have to wrap on this topic. And this one is kind of a big one. This may need to be its own topic, but there's talk and the concept of blockchain to kind of help 
with transparency, which you and I had worked on a campaign where that was mm-hmm. one of the, the candidates' platforms. Do you think that that complete transparency similar to blockchain could work potentially in the political world? Or is that too broad of a question to try and hammer out in a couple minutes? I think it's too broad of a question. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a lot of potential out there mm-hmm. with that blockchain yeah. technology. Um, I'm not sure yet how, how we're going to at, fit it in. Yeah. I suspect we're going to fit it in, though. I think that's probably one of the things that 20 years from now we'll be taking for granted. It'll be interesting to see how it gets applied. But yeah, that was a fun campaign. No, that's that's really good stuff, Katie. And this is kind of what the basis of the show is. The more knowledge and education you have, the better you are off. I mean, know where your money's going with just things that you're spending your money on, right? Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. always talk about uh, on the food side that we should be knowledgeable about what we're putting in our body. Mm-hmm. So in this instance, you should be knowledgeable about where you're spending your money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because you, they in turn are going to go spend it right, on a candidate. Right. <laughs> yeah. So even if you're, as you kind of mentioned, even if you're maybe not the most active political person, but you have some views and beliefs, well... Do some research, educate yourself, and at least know then that where your money's being spent is in alignment with your core values. Well, great. Thanks, Katie. That's uh, really interesting stuff. Uh, Before we get on to our final topic and talk about accountants, I just want to thank again the sponsor for this episode, The Pint Cycle. Pint Cycle is a 16-person pedal pub based in Fishers, Indiana, specializing in corporate events, bachelor and bachelorette parties, birthday parties, and unique and fun tour experiences with friends and family. Visit thepintcycle.com to book your upcoming tour event. All right. So Katie, we wanted to talk a little bit about accountants and what they wish people knew about their job. We figured that since we were coming right up before tax time, that uh, we would try and help them out and let people know what some of their challenges are. So I'm going to start with one one accountant that I spoke with. He was pretty transparent and he said some interesting things. He said, I would want someone to know about the profession that they may not know, specifically as it relates to public accountants and not necessarily in-house accounting staff, Mm -hmm. is that there's this stereotype that accountants are all introverts. (laughs) And he said, to maybe some extent, that may be true, but he said most of his time is now spent communicating with clients, whether it's face-to-face or over the phone, text or email, et cetera. And he spends more time with that than he actually does spending time with numbers or dealing with numbers. So he said some of them may still be introverts, but they spend an inordinate amount of time communicating, which is an important piece of the profession. And he said that communication piece is becoming more and more important and is really focused on in the training of accountants, you know, whether it's accounting courses or accounting as a major, uh, but that ability to communicate uh, is really, really important. And I think he went on a little bit just that if you think you need an accountant, you probably do. (laughs) (laughs) I heard that too. Yeah. So, and it's not, it's not a ploy. It's that there is just so much information as it relates to your personal finances or your small business finances, Mm -hmm. that it's definitely worth the out-of-pocket expense because an accountant, if you have a good one, is probably going to help you get money back or, you know, ensure that you're paying what's fair. So uh, I thought that was really interesting. And I definitely sometimes tend to think that accountants are introverts. So for him to say that he actually spends more time communicating with people, uh, I thought that was an interesting point. Mm -hmm. I agree. It is. And the don't go it alone, right? We heard that get professional help that rolls right into you. Payroll isn't something that you just throw caution to the wind over, Mm -hmm. you know, have it processed correctly, 
don't calculate things manually. I didn't know people still did that. I got to be honest with you. Right. <laughs> um, I was using QuickBooks feels like 20 years ago, but you just you end up spending more money in the end fixing yeah. things is what we heard. Yeah. yeah. One thing I also saw was that the error is going to cost you more than the initial expense right. of, of hiring an accountant. <laughs> right. So again, that topic of if you think you need one, you probably do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you wouldn't necessarily diagnose yourself if you were a medical doctor, right? So, you know, <laughs> if you hire the professional that, you know, is trained in the area that you need the help in. Right. Don't WebMD. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, my favorite response that we got was very simple. It was, I am not a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like that one too. <laughs> that was my favorite. But the same person said, poor planning on your part doesn't constitute an emergency on mine, which I have heard in multiple disciplines. Sure. Right. I've heard that from engineers. I've heard that all different places. Like, you need to step up shoe boxes or not a filing system. Yeah, I like that comment as well. It made me laugh. Yeah. And it made me realize that maybe my uh, manila folder wasn't necessarily (laughs) in line with what they needed either. But at least it's better than a shoe box. At least I stack them in in order of uh, date. There you go. I've been accused of over... Uh, stuffing my folders. So I have yeah. everything laid out and organized and, and they'll be like, I don't need most of this. Can I, I'm just going to give you a checklist, but thanks for trying to be prepared. You That's know? funny you said uh, that because my wife, who is also an independent contractor, we share the same accountant. He handles our family and then also our individual businesses. And last year I went with a folder for each of my businesses with every receipt, every mileage. I had a <laughs> mileage spreadsheet. I had everything in order of date. Everything was printed out. I mean, it was perfect because I'm, I'm OCD. And not that my wife wasn't organized, but literally our accountant looked at me. He grabbed my stuff. And he's like, okay, uh, I'm done with you. You can go. And, and my <laughs> wife was in there with him for about another like 30 or 40 minutes. So yeah, there um, there's different levels of being organized, but right. uh, I'm with you. I'm probably a little bit, I probably err on the side of um, a little bit OCD. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else did we get here, Chris? Looks like that. I don't know it if you don't tell me. Yeah. Yeah. That, was that a good applies one too. to everything in life too. It's funny that we don't think to carry just basic things like that over. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I like this one too. People sometimes think that there's some gimmick or some way around the system that, you know, well, gosh, my guy, you know, got me a huge return and you should, you should go to my guy. Yeah. Um, and, and, this particular person said that's not really how it works. It's just, it's just not, you know. So right. um, they're all kind of following the same standards, the same guidelines. And who your Uncle Wally uses isn't necessarily going to be better than, you know, <laughs> whoever your personal tax person is. Right. But I heard at the bar that I can claim this, right? Yeah. 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 I talked to somebody over a couple of drinks. And they said, I could definitely write this off. So yeah, um, <laughs> yeah that, that was that was some funny responses as well. Yeah. So One of our CPA respondents pointed out that the P in CPA is public. We don't think of it that way, right? So he talked about how they have kind of this duality Mm -hmm. where it's their job, their first obligation is to make sure that everything is presented according to generally accepted accounting principles and that everything is legal and everything is done properly and yet they're being paid by the client who sometimes really has other priorities, (laughs) right? Right. We all know those people. Mm -hmm. There's kind of a, a stretch and I noted some of these responses talked about that tension between we have a client who's paying us and we have an ethical responsibility to do this thing and people don't think about that 
that they're not there to hide your money from the IRS or to gussy things up. There's accounting principles that they have to follow. And there's, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a whole list of rules and regulations that if they don't, then they're going to be, they're going to be the ones that are ultimately going to get in trouble for it. As you're getting ready to put your taxes together and, and put a wrap on 2019, try and keep in mind that poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency for your accountant. There really is the uh, the busy part of the year for them, and it starts here really in a couple of weeks. So keep that in mind. Don't don't wait to the last minute. And if you haven't used an accountant before, uh, if you do everything on your own, good on you. But it might not be a bad idea to explore utilizing an accountant. I just think with all of the uh, accounting laws and rules and regulations, it's it's never a bad idea, particularly if you have a family or you know a business owner, to um, seek out the advice of experts. So with that, Katie, I think we'll put a wrap here on episode three. Always uh, love hearing your new topics and learning a little bit. If people want to reach us, what's uh, what's the best way for them to reach out to us? Well, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter, Katie and Me Pod, and then our email addresses. We've got Chris at Katie and Me dot com and Katie at Katie and Me dot com, and we would love to hear from you. We want to know what is your passion or line of work. And what do you wish everyone knew? And we will tell them. Yeah, hopefully if you send us some information, we will get you on an upcoming episode. And with that, thanks, Katie. As always, great to talk to you. Thanks, Chris.